This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. The following episode of TOEFOP is rated M.A. It may contain Batman references, time travel references, sexual references, lost trains of thought, and mild coarse language. TOEFOP advises that the program is not suitable for anyone under the age of 15 or anyone who enjoys succinct, coherent conversation that might actually have a point. Minors must be accompanied by a parent, guardian or priest. This is John Deke speaking. Hello everyone, Mike Howell here. Will and Charlie were unavailable to record this week for differing reasons. If you don't know one of them, you likely do not own a television. If you don't know the other, well, I'll just let old blue eyes tell ya. It's quarter to three. There's no one in the place except you and me. So set em up, Joe. I got a little story. I think you should know. We're drinking, my friend, to the end of a brief episode. Nah, that's too easy. I'm sure by the end you'll have it figured out. Do you reckon if you were a 10-year-old, Will, you'd recognize you now walking past? That you'd get some kind of feeling? Oh, like some mystical, oh, that's me. Well, do you think just if you saw you... Like, think back to when you were 10, if you saw you walking past, do you think that you'd realise that was you growing up? No. No, I don't think so. Really? No. Why is that? Do you think you, you were? Yeah, I haven't changed that much. <laughs> <laughs> I don't look that much different. Still got tiny little hands. I, when I was a kid, I looked exactly like DJ from Roseanne, like bowl haircut, like yeah. a little Mr. Spock. That's exactly what was I was Was that like. your look at school? Like the I, didn't know, I didn't know. That was my look up until I was about 14. Right. And then I found out you could part your hair. I always thought that people were born with their hair parted one side or the other. And I used to get really annoyed that my hair just grew straight down. And then someone said, you know, you can just part it with a comb and comb it to one side. And I was like, you're shitting me. You just didn't know. I didn't know that your hair, people parted their hair. I thought it grew like that, like that. It grew with a part in it. And I was like, oh, I'm so jealous of John. He's got the fucking part that goes down the side and he can flick his hair. It looks so cool. And then someone said, why don't you just grow your hair longer and part it on the side? And I had no idea you could do that. <laughs> so it'd be easy to pick me if I went back in time because you'd see that kid on the blue bus <laughs> licking the glass. Oh, man. Wow. Yeah. Poor you. Yeah. Well, you obviously knew. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you could part hair. I, I went to a very good school, Charlie. They taught us all the stuff. Like how you can part your hair with, with a comb. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And yeah. a brush. A brush. And a brush, too. And or a brush. <laughs> I don't know why I didn't know that. I just, some things, I guess, I mean, look, being a parent's hard, and obviously you've got to yeah. teach your kids as much as you can, but maybe some you things slip through the slip cracks. Slip through the cracks. Like you can part your hair, kid. 
you talk the first eight to part their hair, you're like, come on, he'll work it out, surely. <laughs> I know he's the last of nine, but surely there's enough good DNA left in our you reproductive can, can, systems to make a normal kid. You can lead a horse to water. But, <laughs> you know, I do think that though sometimes, you know, when you're a kid, those things you just don't realise that were going on. Like, we um, had a... Uh, um, I just didn't know a lot of things, I think. I, I was not, you know... My dad, I thought, have I mentioned this before? My dad told me that sheep um, could only stand on hills because they had shorter legs at the front than they did at the back. And I just believed that for years. Yeah. Without ever, like, just using How my old eyes. How 18. <laughs> 35. <laughs> dad, stop telling me these things. Um, no, yeah, I, I, I mean, like a kid. Yeah. Like a kid kid, like a proper kid. Yeah. My parents used to do this, um, uh, they were going to this, I guess it was like a marriage counselling kind of thing. Not like their relationships on the rocks, but one of those kind of develop your marriage kind yeah. of uh, counselling Take it things. Take level. Yeah. And um, they used to have to have like sit down and have a, a dialogue like once mm. a week. That was one of the things they oh, did. Yeah, right. And so they had this room that they'd go into that the kids weren't allowed near when they're having their dialogue time and they called it the dialogue room. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when we were in primary school and we had to like the diary name, room. Had it was to like name, Big Brother. Yeah, we had to name different parts of the house. The kids yeah. were like bathroom, living room. And I was like, dialogue room. <laughs> the teacher's like, <laughs> what? It's like where your parents go to talk about their marriage. This is like... <laughs> What do you mean? It's like, doesn't everyone have a dialogue room? Well, there's a dialogue room, right? I honestly thought there was a dialogue room. Two bedrooms, two toilets, dialogue room. <laughs> how, can you, how can you have some dialogue room? It does sound like a big brother room. You get someone to the dialogue room. It just, like, you can just imagine that, like, you know, poor little Fritzel kids at school. Dungeon? <laughs> <laughs> Soundproof dungeon? Wow, my generation is officially, we are irrelevant. Like there is something going on, there's a music scene and there's art getting made and there's a cultural movement that I know nothing about. And I'm going to be that guy, I'm going to be that uncle complaining about the noise or whatever because uh, real bands was when I was a teenager. Like real bands was in the 90s, that was real music. Uh, I'm going to murder this, but I saw like a, a quite a nice joke go around. It, you know, and it wasn't particularly about, you know, the death of Chris Cornell, but it was a good example of how you can talk about the moment without, you know, specifically kind of talking targeting the person or whatever. And um, and it was along that theme. And I'm going to murder it, but this was the gist of it, which was um, uh, for anyone who doesn't... Under uh, for any millennials who don't understand you know, the death of Chris Cornell, just then imagine it's whatever shitty DJ you like now. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yeah. I, you've really summed up a lot of my thoughts there, mate. I'm not sure I have a philosophy, but if I was going to get something tattooed on me in like uh, Japanese letters, it might be that. Don't you feel like that? But that attack that people have on millennials, especially from our Gen X generation, like I don't know if Gen X attack the millennials as much as the well, boomers. Not, well, the boomers, yeah, but very they, much the boomers. They attack they, everyone. And the older Gen X. I reckon Gen X are pretty cool with the boomers. I reckon a lot of Gen X wishes they could still hang out with the. Oh, sorry, hang out with the millennials. Oh, yeah, like, no, definitely. Like, yeah, I wish the millennials yeah. would invite me to, their, to see their cool bands. Yeah, but, well, but we're I, like, oh, you know, we're still man children. Yeah. We can still come to your things. <laughs> we don't have kids. We don't. Look at our lives. <laughs> we still think we're you. We do invite a, us to stuff. We do a fake radio show. Explain <laughs> how it works. Yeah, we're on social media. We get it, guys. Snapchat and stuff, right? But I often hear people my age, like, bitching and moaning about millennials and the entitled generation and blah, blah, blah. 
as if that wasn't said about oh, us. every generation. Every generation. Every generation. And it's it's weird. Please, it's... please, never let me be one of those people who I had a whole defending millennials bit in my stand up show this year, and it was along that line of just me thinking I don't ever want to be that person who looks at young people and thinks because you know what they. Over the generations, I think every generation is about seven IQ points smarter. They're the people who are going to solve this next thing. They're going to be the next incarnation of us for good or for ill. Mm. So we might as well help them so it's for good. Yeah. That's our legacy. Yeah. You know, whatever they are. Have you ever tried to, like, when you were a teenager or whatever, did you ever try? I feel like and- we've moved on to. So we actually made 10 minutes. So sorry to anyone I said five <laughs> minutes. But... um uh, I think we've officially we can well move, we'll get move. we'll get Mike out of time coded yeah. so people know yeah um, but did you have a, a time when you were a teenager where you tried to get your parents into your music or play them any of your music or was there any attempt to sort of bridge that generation gap? I got to be honest with you, my, my dad never listens to music. Right, like he is not a music listener. My mum had a one of the weirdest, widest varieties of tastes of music of all time. She loved everything from John Williamson to the ABBA soundtrack to Queen to yeah right like yeah there was a real. Yeah, Meat Loaf's Bad Out of Hell was in her, Nana Muscuri. It was like, yeah, it was kind of one of those things where, you know, if you saw it in a movie now and they wanted to establish someone as like a hot pixie girl alternative. Yeah, right. They would 500 all, Days of Summer. Yeah, yeah, they would almost have, yeah, 500 Days of Christine, the Christine <laughs> Anderson story, or 500 set on the farm. <laughs> it's a mix between Castaway and 500 Days of Summer. But I think that was because dad didn't listen to music. So she never yeah. really, she, she'd find a few things and she'd get into it, but she'd never really. Well, that was like my mum and dad. Like, I don't really recall. Legend has it in my family that my dad, his one popular music purchase um, was the village people. And that my sister and my brother walked in with to dad putting the village people on and having a bit of groove around the living room. And then they explained to him that they're gay. And then my dad was snapping that record in half and throwing it in the bin. Lovely message to the <laughs> four kids in your family who end up being gay, right? Oh, it all worked out. Yeah. Man. <laughs> Could have had his own little village people. But then mum had more diverse taste. She like was definitely into, she liked really old music, like classical music uh-huh. and stuff. But then she had some like Beatles, Van Morrison. But I'd say she peaked out around early 70s. Oh, mum liked the Beatles. Yeah. I mean, doesn't isn't that like a foregone conclusion? I don't think we had any Rolling Stones in the house though. So I think she'd made a choice. There. No. We had, from mum's collection, I think it went as far as like the late 60s. Then as the kids grew up, we started getting more like Led Zeppelin and Skyhooks and stuff like the that. The thing about the Beatles and like, you know, when you, you go, you, your mum liked the Beatles. The thing I love about that though is like the Beatles... Like, yes, obviously early on they had some pretty simple pop songs, but eventually they became one of the most, you know, musically innovative and interesting bands of all time. And yeah. their influence has been writ large in the history of pop music. You know, yeah. there is probably no more important a band well, ever that, than that, the Beatles. Right? That Rolling Stone article, there's Chris Cornell doing a cover of A Day in the Life. And I listened to that this morning and I was like, oh my God, like... This could have been recorded now. Like, if Radiohead put out fucking half of the stuff that the Beatles put out in the last half of their career now, you'd be like, oh, yeah, right. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah that makes sense. Concept album. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no. It's like a brilliant, brilliant band. So that meant that our parents had that access to this world where they were still, even if they weren't interested in music, experiencing really interesting music. Yeah. Yeah. Which I, I maybe, and this is an old person thing to say, yeah. but sometimes I feel like the kids of today aren't being served as well by that. You know, yeah, in, sure. in the, the band that you're into just by accident, because you like one or two bands, they're probably not as good as 
you know, a band that you're, you're still hearing really, really excellent stuff. Yeah. Like, I mean, the, the thing you could say about U2, regardless of, you know, whatever feel, people feel about U2, is when U2 were producing top of the charts pop music, it was still very interesting and, like, complex and, like, you know, whatever music mm. that you would just, even if you just like U2. Yeah, like, yeah. my favourite band's U2. You still got to hear some pretty decent, so, interesting music. And they at least, and they tried different sounds and yeah. stuff. But, well, I think with Mum, like, I remember distinctly when I was, like, 18, playing her a selection of my music to see what she thought of it. And, like, Mum, I think the most modern album Mum had was, like, a, God, who was that Australian band? Is it Weddings, Parties, Anything? Yeah. I think mum... I liked Weddings, Parties, Anything. Yeah. <laughs> so you and my mum had that in common. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> See, I always, I always liked your mum. Could have taken her to a Weddows gig. One of those Christmas gigs they used to do. They were really legendary. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. They would sell out months in advance. Yeah, right. Yeah, I loved... Uh, I remember... Well, talk- she, liked things, she likes over the folky edge. She really loved Van Morrison. Um, so I played her some Guns N' Roses, um, Pearl Jam, Nirvana, Metallica... And then I went into um, LL Cool J, Beastie Boys, and then finished off with some techno. Not that I was into techno, but I just wanted to see. Where would you go with techno? Like, are you talking oh. like crossover techno, like the Prodigy or Fatboy Slim or something? Uh, like no, like I think it was techno, techno. It was like proper. Ha- it was proper house music. House My brother music. had brought back. Be pretty amazing if your mum just discovered she was into fucking <laughs> hardcore house. Well, the way that I remember her ranking it was she. The the heavy the heavy metal she liked best because Metallica even though it's heavy it's very musical you know yeah, like it could be orchestral like it sounds closer to classical yeah. then next came sort of grunge like Nirvana and Metallica because she liked the lyrics wasn't a big fan of hip hop Beastie Boys too shouty which you know yeah I mean I mean that's fair enough shouting. like you've got if you you know if you don't I have mean, people shouting yeah, at you I I would say that like even the Beastie Boys themselves would have sat around and go hey look we're not like we're not for people that don't like shouting yeah she like LL Cool J yeah well he's not very shouty no and it's also very relaxed well, we, and it, you know what also what? according to the technical <laughs> contract ladies love Cool James yeah so. that's true. How she, could she resist? She she uh at the at the end of when I played at LL Cool J, she turned and punched me in the face, and I said, yeah. "What was that for?" And she said, "Well, LL said, said knock you out." Mama said, "Knock you out." <laughs> uh, and then the techno, which was just a collection of house music, I can't remember. It was like one of those, you know, grab bag CDs, and she didn't like that at all. No. She she thought it sounded like a dentist drill. You should have said to her mum, "What you got to go do is go to your medicine cabinet, take <laughs> all your pills, mix them with a the wine, then get back to me about how you like it." That's why I always feel bad when people get busted for drugs, pretty much anywhere. But when people get busted for drugs at dance music festivals, you know, when they confiscate, and I'm just like, oh. You have to endure that whole fucking... I mean, like, if if your drugs get confiscated the big day out, you can still go and have a good time. (laughs) (laughs) Might as well go home if your drugs get confiscated at a dance music festival. You're like, I shredded for three months for this. (laughs) Hey, uh, do you have something? Is that what you were about to say? Well, no, I was just oh. going to say it's, uh, um, it's a banner day uh, for Tofop because... Uh, uh, why? Well, yesterday you told me you loved me. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah okay, go with this if you'd like. That's <laughs> fine. I'm happy for that. I will not. I was, I, I was really pleased. I got a text message from Will saying, I love you and uh, sorry the fuckers are ruining your day. I was like, oh, that's nice. Um, my day's not that bad. So I said, um, thanks, man. I love you too. Well, also the other thing was that I... Because we were going to record this yesterday and then... Uh, some fuckers and started ruining someone else's day <laughs> and I had stepped in to uh, uh, undo the fuckery. Yeah, undo some of the fuckery. <laughs> like I could not undo all the fuckery but I could play a support role yeah. in uh, just being there. Yeah. Uh, and a part of that support role was uh, me uh, being on the phone at the supermarket trying to get the 
the bath soap that the person who had been the subject of the fuckery enjoys because I thought it'd be nice after they got home from a day of fuckery yeah. to be able to use the bath Victim soap of that fuckery. she enjoys, right? Yeah. And uh, so I, uh, it was not available at either of the two places that stock it in the suburbs that we live nearby. Mm-hmm. And I'd gone to both of them. Yeah. And uh, then I'd been in the shop and uh, there'd been some more, uh, I'd, be, I'd been delivered some uh, uh, late breaking news on the fuckery. <laughs> And uh, I had also at that uh, around that same time uh, sent you a message saying, "Hey, can we do this tomorrow?" Right? Yeah. So you had a lot on your plate. You had, had multiple plate, multiple message windows but also, going. Well, yeah. The, the, well, the two that are most recently used. Can I ask? Was the message sent from your phone or from your laptop? From my phone. I was at the right. supermarket okay. on the phone at the time. Probably I, listen to a podcast as well because I, I like to multifunction on always. I it. have my text hooked up to my laptop, uh-huh. and so I can, you know, when I'm working, I can sort of text people at the same time. And I find more often than not, that's when I send the message to the wrong people, is because you can open up Windows, and it's not you don't have to go in and select the person's name. You're just sort of grabbing and you know you're swapping Windows and chatting back and forth. And I have sent numerous messages to the wrong person. Never told anyone I loved them. Um, I was disappointed when I realized within about 1.3 seconds. You. I love you. <laughs> oh, Do you need to hear that? No, no. No, no. You know, you know <laughs> I that know that, man. Me. You know you I know. love you, baby. You know. Uh, yeah, right. So, Ancestry.com. So, we got told uh, where we needed to go. And my cousin, I'd sort of been emailing her and she had been contacting all these sort of different family members from all across the globe that she'd found from Ancestry.com. It's a bit like that episode of The Simpsons, you know, where um, Lisa gets upset because she's got the Simpson fingers and she's worried she can't play the sax. And then yep. Homer rounds up all the, like, the Simpsons in the area to show like what successes they could be. Yeah, It was a bit like that. Being successful. <laughs> yeah. It's like that story. Um, no, she, she had some information from a distant cousin who had done a very comprehensive family tree. And so she said that if you go to this town, um, about six miles south of this, this town would be roughly the area. It's at the foot of this mountain. It's near this river. You know, you should be able to find it. So we had a few days in Dublin before that, sort of drove across Ireland. And let me say, Ireland, beautiful country. Like, I know it's a cliche. People talk about it being the Emerald Isle and stuff, but it is genuinely gorgeous. Like, the, the, the kind of um, ignorant uh, side of me was like, oh, I've been to Scotland. I'm sure Ireland's like much of the same. No, <laughs> completely different. <laughs> like, not at all the same. I was shocked. People even sound different. Yeah. But it's beautiful. Like, it is so lush and green. Yeah. And it's amazing, everywhere, you, everywhere you go, like, it, it, it's, it's like... It's like this. I don't. It's part of me felt like is this this entire country so perfectly set up for tourism? Because every town you arrived at, there was some cute little pub with a folk band playing, and like all the staff were so nice, and all the locals were so helpful, and you know they can all tell a story, and they're all quite funny and great, great sense of humour. And I was thinking in my head because you know my wife's Scottish, and I spent quite a bit of time in Scotland. I'm like Scotland, you could learn a thing or two from these guys. You know the way they kind of embrace tourists and stuff, and they've always got to. Rather than glassing people at a pub for barracking for the wrong soccer team, maybe you should, like, take a leaf out of Ireland's book. Take a four-leaf clover out of Ireland's book, you might say. You know what rural Ireland is? Rural, rural Ireland is what you've been led to believe. Yes. Like, you know, so what you've been advertised it is, 
is what you actually get. So the international yeah. reputation of it being so beautiful and all these quaint little villages that are full of charming storytellers and folk music, that's yeah. literally what you get when you go to those places. Yeah. You're like, oh, this is brilliant because it's what... They're on brand. Ireland is yeah. very much on brand. It'd be yeah. the equivalent of people coming to us. People must be so disappointed when they come to Australia and every bar's not like, you know, like doesn't have men at work. Crocodile Dundee. down under in the corner and Crocodile Dundee, like, you know, you know yeah. fighting a crocodile in the bar. Because that's what... Island is that, you know, you're like, yeah. oh my God, this is brilliant. I'm eating some potato and the cores are playing in the corner. It's like every children's book I read as a kid come to life. Like I half expected like just talking woodland animals to come out and start like singing songs for us. Like it was so amazing. So we had two or three days of like sightseeing uh, around the sort of uh, central part of Ireland over on the West coast uh, to where we're Clifton. And then we drove down South to Cork. Now, Cork is not like the rest of Ireland. <laughs> like we'd had two or three blissful days of like charming locals and picturesque scenery. And then you get to Cork and you're like, okay, well, every town's got a Cork. I think in Melbourne, you'd call it Geelong or, you know, New South Wales, you'd call it Newcastle. It's, you know, it's just a working class town. But so we stayed there overnight and then we did our day trip out to Kilgarvan the next day. So Kilgarvan is literally one street. Like it is one of those tiny towns where it's been there for, 500 years and literally one street with a couple of houses either side, but there's nothing there. So we followed my um, cousin's instructions and we followed, there's only one road that headed south. So we followed that down south about six miles, found the foot of the mountain, found the river, found a bog. Yes, the McSweeney's were bog people. We live next to a bog. <laughs> I mean, literally, the way you found my family's land was. You find the, the, the triangle between a mountain, a river, and a bog. <laughs> the McSweeney's were bog farmers. Generations of bog farmers. <laughs> Literally. So we found the spot. We went out. We took a bunch of photos. And then we jumped in the car. And we're driving back through Kilgarvan. And I was like, well, that pub there has obviously been there for a couple hundred years. I should go in, have a pint of Guinness, you know, raise a glass to, to the McSweeney's past. And so I've gone in and uh, I'm chatting to the barman and uh, he's like, oh, you know, Australian, so what are you doing here? And so I told him, family heritage tour. And he's like, so what was your mother's name? And I said, well, she's McSweeney, but I believe the original name was Sweeney. And he's like, oh yeah, Nellie Sweeney lives just across the road. <laughs> and I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, the Sweeney's have been here for like, for fucking centuries. And so we walk out of the pub, he walks me across the road, we knock on this door, this sweet old lady, like in her 80s, answers, and she's like, hello? <laughs> and I said... Hi, uh, I'm Charlie. Um, my uh, mother was a and She was like, do you want some bog? <laughs> yeah. Fresh bog. And she did not bat an eyelid. It was like this happens all the time. Like I just said who I was. And she's like, oh, come in, come in. Invited me and Jim in, put the kettle on, started making some sandwiches and just launched into their storytellers. So she just starts telling the history of the Sweeney clan. By not the only way, that. I, I, I like to believe that you said it's like this happens all the time. I like to believe that anytime anyone comes to the town, no matter what their last name is, this guy yeah. goes, well, you're never going to believe this. Yeah. She lives right across the road. And then as you're walking across the road, he places a phone call going, Sweeney, yeah. today it's yeah. Sweeney. <laughs> I mean, that's what I mean about this entire country is so geared towards tourism because you see a whole bunch of Americans there because I guess Americans have a huge Irish expat population. And they really gear a lot of the kind of attractions to that American market. Like every pub 
they'll you know there'll be a rendition of Danny Boy or, or something playing, but they they play up that kind of Irish pride thing, and you can't help but sort of get swept up in it. So Nelly was her name. She invites us in, and she just starts Did like, you "Say it's getting hot in here, so take off all yeah. your clothes." <laughs> and then I realised I'd walked into a brothel. <laughs> no, she starts. Um, she starts just launching into this huge story and. She's got this very thick Irish brogue, and so I'm, I'm sort of catching every second word. But I did have that feeling of going, "Oh fuck!" Like maybe this is just she's got the surname Sweeney. Like you know, maybe we're sitting in a complete stranger's living room. But then she goes into her kitchen and she pulls out these two plastic tubs that are just filled with historical documents, photographs, birth certificates, like everything. So we start going through it, and sure enough, there's my great grandfather's birth certificate. There's his travel papers. Literally could follow the line all the way to my family in Melbourne. It was unfucking believable So we, so we're just sitting there and, I, and I, I, I said to her, so who was your grandfather? And so what I worked out was that her grandfather and my mother's grandfather were brothers. So I think that makes her, no, her father and my mother's father, yeah, no, her grandfather and my father's grandfather were brothers. So that makes her my mother's second cousin that I didn't even know existed until I went into that fucking pub and had a beer. So I'm sitting there with like a blood relative. <laughs> it was insane. It was so crazy. So you she should have been like, uh, by the way, now that we've worked this out, can I have your kidney? Yeah. My kidney failure. And I really, what's your blood type? Well, I, once I sort of realized like, oh fuck, you're legit. So I, I started asking like, how did you get all this information? Because it was like, it was like a CSI lab. It was literally like she had everything in folders marked, you know, different families. And it's the, the Sweeney's apparently started in that land, family of however many, probably nine or ten, I think was the time. But by her estimation, there are now 5,000 descendants of that one initial family. Like, talk about your fucking Irish Catholic breeders. <laughs> like, we literally left that land and just started fucking. <laughs> As many people as we could. Let's just repopulate the planet with Sweeney's. And I believe it too. Like the amount of documents she had of the amount of different families. Like that initial family that uh, I was from was one, yeah, one of nine kids. So if each of those kids went off and started a family themselves and had like another eight or nine kids, like my mother did. I mean, that's four generations of just like constantly pumping out kids. Like, I don't know. I'm sure Adam Spencer will get in touch and let us know like, if that's possible, the family of nine could procreate to 5,000 in the space of four generations. But she seemed to think it was round about that number. But she had been in contact with one of the cousins who's a priest living in Venezuela who has done this complete... He's just retired now and he's just spending spent the last 20 years doing this comprehensive Sweeney family line. So he'd sort of been in contact with all these different Sweeney's and traced them all down. And I mean, it was bizarre to see photos of my family in this document, photos that had been like legally accessed or, you know, he'd contacted someone on Facebook, maybe like a second cousin who had a family photo from a Christmas party. It was, it was amazing. It was like my own personal uh, episode of who do you think you are? But were you able to fill in stuff that she didn't know? Like, was there, Yeah. did you have, yeah. So now they've got like extra stuff in the drawer yeah. and this guy, you know, this Venezuelan priest can be like, you know, feeling your family, right? Well, no, they had information in my family. I don't know where he got it from, but he literally had, um, 
Like, it but was, do you have I don't you? Know. Were you? Like, were, yeah. Was, was there information about you? Yeah, yeah. My date of birth. Like, literally, it started. It was a three-page document. I don't know what kind of legal document it was, but it started with my grandfather John and his wife Dorothy, and then their offspring, uh, which led to my mum and marrying my dad, and then. Like, I've, I filmed all this. Like, I may upload a video of it at some point because it's fucking incredible. Um, but, yeah, I literally traced down. And there's, like, my mum and dad. And then there's all my brothers and sisters down to me. But they were, they had my birthday as the 31st of August when it's the 31st of July. So that was the one thing I was able to correct. But, I mean, he got 99.9% of the rest of it right. But uh, that would be amazing to them, too, just for that family story to, like, you know, go, hey, this guy just wandered into the village. But, you know, you've done a whole bunch of stuff that people could find online or sort of, you know. Yeah. It wouldn't be the same with every cousin and every you know, brother and sister and whatever that you would have so much online documented material that they could then access and use as a resource to, like, link other things in together. Well, when I said that, like, when she answered the door, she was so nonplussed. We're not the first people to have knocked on her door. Like, apparently, because there's fucking 5,000 Sweeney's, that there's been quite a few Sweeney's come through on a heritage tour who have had the same conversation and knocked on her door. Because, I mean, I don't know, Nellie's very sweet, but she was in, she was in her, her 80s, and I think that maybe she, she was getting a bit forgetful about some stuff because she kept talking about this um, girl from America who came to see her, and, and she kept talking about this girl as if maybe she was related to me or if I, if I knew her. But I got the sense that, oh, yeah, so whoever, maybe it was a Venezuelan guy had, you know, maybe he knew, maybe he was a cousin of this girl. And so he told her to come the same way that my cousin, because in my cousin's notes, she said, um, I believe there was a Nellie Sweeney living in Kilgarvan, but the last known information I had about that was 2009 and she was in her late seventies by then. So chances are she wouldn't still be there, but she is still still there and her family still live in that County, not in that exact town, but you know, she's had, she had six children, herself and her daughter's just had a kid so like the sweeney line we just keep going like a fucking virus well uh mike hell's done the maths while we were having that conversation and if uh each of the nine children if it was like the maximum result nine times yeah. nine times nine right that that version of it right times yeah. nine four generations would be six thousand five hundred and sixty one so right five thousand could be doable if you know if there's yeah. there's been a lot of like big numbers in the the McSweeney's. Obviously, obviously yeah. living near a bog does nothing <laughs> positive for your fertility. I would say. Yeah, I think my family though, uh, with so many homosexuals, we're doing our best to right. kind of just bring those numbers down. <laughs> Maybe that was just like uh, like an X Men evolution thing, like. You know, it's like, we've got to, like, save the planet. We've got to stop breeding so much. So just natural mutation, half my family, non-breeders. But the amazing thing about all of it was, I mean, first of all, I was surprised by how, like, affected I was going and seeing the land. Because when you saw it, like, there was literally nothing there. It was harsh, harsh land, bog, river, mountain. And... They were there for generations before they got out. So Nellie was saying that my great-great-great-grandfather, he had nine children and he realised, because they were uneducated, uh, dirt poor, that the best thing he could do would be to buy each of his kids a ticket to get the fuck out of Ireland. So he sold like whatever land he had or the sheep or whatever and bought each of his children 
tickets to the US and to Australia, the other two countries that were uh, people were, were taking immigrants. So apparently my great-great-grandfather um, was meant to go to America at first, but then there was, this, there was a mix-up with one of his brothers fell in love with a girl, decided to stay in Ireland. So he took his ticket and went to Australia as I think he was 16 or 17. But what I didn't realize was that when he arrived in Australia, he was uneducated, broke as fuck, and did not speak English because he spoke only Irish Gaelic. Right. So he would have had this immigrant experience that a lot of immigrants are having in Australia right now, which a lot of people who look like me are complaining about, these people coming to Australia and not speaking English and not having skills, whatever. It's like, I mean, you only have to go back two generations in my family, and that was my story. And you would, I would never have thought that, being a white Australian. I just took it for granted that, oh, yeah, like it's always been easy for me, but no. There was a point in which my family was so dirt poor and prospects in our homeland were so bleak that a family, a parent would do anything to send their kids somewhere in the hope of getting a better life. Right. A parent was willing to sell everything they had just to buy their kids tickets out of the place where they lived. Yeah. I mean, it, when it really puts things into perspective. Like, all of a sudden I'm like, oh my God, my great great-grandfather, great-great-great-great-grandfather bought his kids a ticket knowing he would never see them again yeah. to give his son the opportunity to have a great-grandson who would one day go on to record a podcast that doesn't make any money. <laughs> like, it was worth it, Grandpa. <laughs> I mean, he would be so proud, wouldn't he? Like, I imagine it's like, the Lion King, where I look up into the clouds right now, my great-great-grandfather, all my ancestors appear in the clouds, and they're like, ah, oh, but Jesus, what the fuck are you doing? Stop it with all the football talk. Ah, you're driving us crazy. I can do that material. I can do that, yeah. Uh, me too, actually, because of yeah. course I am 32% Irish, so I can laugh at it. Yeah, well, you can do 30% of the, of the same kind of racism that I can do. Yeah, well, that's not too bad. I can just have one. <laughs> I'll put up with that. I'll I take what I can have, get. I can just have one to be sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, amazing. So, And she was so proud too, like this Nelly. She, she, she was telling me that um, of the cousins that she'd been in touch with or the people that she'd met, she was so chuffed because she had pretty much done what, your uh, family has done and, and it's just stayed on the land like for a, a generation. So she never got to see like, you know, the States or Australia. She's never really left Ireland. I don't think she just stayed and, and raised a family. But then, you know, she'd heard about all these like relatives who'd become like doctors and lawyers and heads of industry and B-grade actors and uh, podcast hosts and stuff. Yeah, well, I mean, Charlie, you've played policemen and psychologists. And <laughs> you've pretended to be a whole bunch of really important jobs. Well, that is that bit in The Simpsons where Homer finds the most successful looking one and brings him over and finds out that he just plays millionaires at parties. <laughs> that is me. But we may have solved one of the uh, longest running gags on this show, which is oh. about w why I have hands like this. Yeah, tiny because hands. Because I no, asked... Not, her, no, normal size hands, tiny fingers. Tiny fingers, yeah. So I asked Nelly if I could look at her hands, and sure enough, she had the same kind of hands. Same hands that my mother had as well. My mother had the same kind of... looked like paws more than anything. Big palms, little fingers. Mm -hmm. And so I said to Nelly, do you have any idea 
why all the Sweeneys have hands like this. And she said, because all we've ever needed to do for generations is grip a shovel or a spade. Oh. Well, I thought you would have adapted longer fingers to grip a shovel or a spade, though. No, you just, no, you don't need to long fingers. You just grip the palms around it. I think what she was trying to say is that we were labourers. We just worked with our hands. You know, we didn't, we were never going to, you know what she said? She was gone. we were never going to be a penis. And I was like, excuse me? What? And she was like, you're never going to be a pianist. Oh, pianist. Yes, that's right. We would never be a, oh. a pianist. <laughs> As in play the piano. Well, to get us back on track, Will, uh, to anyone who's been listening over the last kind of few months, you have heard the evolution of a man, a man who was once happy-go-lucky and easygoing and considered himself youthful into a curmudgeonly old person. And uh, that has taken another step this weekend because I can announce proudly, Will, that uh, on the weekend, I yelled at teenagers for playing music too loudly. Now, um, were you at your home and they were playing music too loudly near your home or were you just wandering the streets randomly yelling at young people? (laughs) Well, as you know, Will, I am the sheriff. Yeah. So I just, I go out in the middle of the night and I just walk past houses and I feel if they're, uh, if there's too much noise pollution coming from said venue, I'll just knock on the door and uh, issue an infringement notice. You've still got your old uniform from Blue Healers. Sometimes you put it on and just wander the neighborhood in your old Blue Heelers cop uniform and just be the noise police. It's all like tattered and faded, like there's patches of sewn up and stuff. It just looks disgusting. It looks like if a policeman fell asleep in a dumpster for 15 years and only just crawled out. And it clearly says Mount Thomas on it, but you just think people are going to be so shocked by the police uniform that they'll be fine with it. I've just stuck electrical tape over where it says Mount Thomas and just written the name of my suburb. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, where were the young people that you yelled at? Okay, so there's a few parts to this story. I sort of went in hot. Uh, you know, I just I wanted some clickbait, but we, we can get into the details and everything is not entirely as it seems. But it was early hours of Sunday morning uh, and I had just been watching Guardians of the Galaxy before I went to bed. And so I was asleep. And at about 5.30 in the morning, I hear like classic 70s rock and roll. And because of those Guardians film, because they always have, they've got so many classic tracks, for a second there I was like, oh, I'm still asleep and I'm just thinking about the Guardians or something like that. But I'm like, no, no, this is really loud and it sounds like it's coming from my apartment. And so Jen was asleep next to me. I knew Michael was asleep. So check the apartment. No, it's not there, but I could hear it. And it's like, is it coming from the rooftop? No, it's not coming from the rooftop. So I'm looking out the windows and I can't see it, but it sounds like it's in the apartment. So I go back into the bedroom and I look out the window across the road to see if it's, you know, the rooftop of the other building. And then I cast my eyes down <laughs> and you've got to understand on my building, there's like this awning that surrounds the corner of the building. On the awning are like five teenagers sitting on like milk crates with a, like a Yui boom dancing and singing along to this track, like watching the sun come up, like looking down towards the water, watching the sun come up. 
So the young people are having the best times of their life. The like, best time. Like that is the best time. Being a teenager, staying up all night, seeing the sunrise in the morning. Maybe you're out on some balcony that you really should not be out on. It really shouldn't that, be out probably on. Probably isn't that safe. Certainly isn't safe for dancing. Your music's way too loud. Life could not be more fun. This is the Australian summer in one, one moment. And let me just preface this as well by saying, like, uh, 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 like recognizes like, you know, I looked down at those kids and I saw exactly what you just described. I saw that effervescence. I saw that you don't want the night to end. In fact, the sun's coming up, starting your day. There's so much potential. They've probably made plans for what they're going to do, all this kind of stuff. I get it. I get it. I mean, it's definitely by looking at their pupils. I really got it. I understand exactly (laughs) the frame of mind that these kids were in, right? So Jem wakes up and she's confused as well. And so I tell her, you know, there's some kids partying out like out in the balcony. She's like, what balcony? I mean, I mean, on the awning. And so she sticks her head out and she's like, oh my God. And so she just stumbles off to the bathroom half asleep. And so I'm like, okay, well, now's the time to kind of like confront them. And I wasn't offended, right? I reckon like recognizes like, it's all cool. But I'm like, oh, I've never got to yell. And a bunch of teenagers for playing music too loud. Like, let's just have a crack. And so I lean out of the window and I'm like, hey, hey, it's 5.30 in the bloody morning. And the girl looks up, very shocked. And she's like, I'm sorry. I'm like, get inside and turn that bloody music down. And so they scramble, gathering up all their stuff, their cigarettes and their wine and stuff and scrambling back in through the window that I assume that they've come out of, unless... They just opportunistically decided to break into the closest light window they saw. So Jen comes back in and she's like, why did you yell at them? And I'm like, well, I thought I could approach it from, hey, like cool guy, like turn the cool teacher, turn the chair around backwards. Hey, kids, you know, just turn it down a bit. I understand you've had a good night. But one, I thought, is that likely to have an impact? Because again, like recognizes like. And when I was in that situation at that age, if a neighbor, in fact, I'm pretty sure a few neighbors came up softly, softly and were like, hey, guys, and you take it on board and you probably have all the intentions in the world of turning the music down and getting everyone inside. But because it didn't make that much of an impact and you've got a lot of things on your mind at that time, easy to forget. But you don't forget the fucking dude who leans out and yells at you, right? Um, all I'm hearing right now is these motherfuckers are going to steal your bin. That's what I'm hearing. (laughs) I'm hearing that they're like, fuck that old guy. Fuck his yelling ways. Let's go downstairs and light a fire in his brand new bin. Well, once I sort of connected the dots on, I think think it was my neighbors. Not 100% sure, but I'm pretty sure it was my neighbors. They're a younger crew, kind of in their 20s. They fit the demographic. And I often see them having parties. And we've had like quite... Uh, a, a, an amiable relationship to this point. Like, they've never invited me over. I'll, you know, I'll come forward and say I'm a little offended that every time they see me coming in the gate, they're not like, you know, we'll have a chat or whatever and they'll have friends having a barbecue. Not once have they ever said, hey, come over here, old man. Well, this would have been a much wasn't better way a to deal with it then, Charlie, because the awning is uh, like neutral space, right? It doesn't belong right. to them or you. Uh, you could have crawled out the window onto the awning also. <laughs> And then <laughs> joined the party. And I believe that would have made them uncomfortable enough that they would have turned off their music and gone inside regardless. Oh, God. 
That's a missed opportunity, Will. I should have called you. I should have called you. Because if you'd give me that advice, I would have proceeded to put on like my worst underpants. Like my worst <laughs> underpants, right? <laughs> and maybe I would have put some sunglasses on and a chain. Yeah. And I would have like clumsily crawled out of the window. With a, maybe I'd grab a couple of bottles of drink from the fridge or something like that, and I'm like, hey, dudes, what's Facebooking? Let's party. <laughs> I feel like that's the way to do it. I feel like you've got to um, play them at their own game in that scenario. You don't want to be the grumpy old man. You don't want to be, you know, the, well, clearly you do. Because uh, every single story you I tell did. on this podcast now is about how you want to be a grumpy old man. So clearly you well, do want to be a grumpy old man. I think by nature, Will, I am fairly easy to get along with. I spend most of my day being easy to get along with. I sort of pride myself on the fact that I kind of, I'm not obstructive in any way. Mm. So forgive me if occasionally I allow myself a little window. Right. And I think justified as well. Like my reaction, I don't think would be considered unexpected in that situation. No, I hear what you're saying, but it's Saturday, like it's Saturday night into Sunday morning too, right? So it's, it's weekend. It's yeah. not like this is like a yeah. school night. That I yeah. I just I've got to say there just would be a part part of me that would just be like good on your kids, and just there like was roll over and go back to bed. You party on, dude. But, that's what I would I, like. I, I did. I mean, okay. Tell me if you were in the exact same situation and it was loud. Like mm. I thought it was coming from my apartment. That's how it wasn't just like an irritating hum. It was fucking loud. So tell me what your approach would have been. And honestly, well, if I heard loud 70s rock, immediately I'd think I was at my radio job. <laughs> <laughs> you like, oh, dear God, I'm you turned to Eddie and you're like, can you turn that work? bloody music off? <laughs> That's what I yell every morning when I'm at the radio station. Stop playing those doobie brothers so loud. <laughs> those doobie brothers. But you get it wrong. Those doobie cousins. Yeah. Those, you know, the Doobie family. I don't know if they're brothers, brothers, sisters, uncles, nephews, Look, nieces. I know the. It's the, too much, too much of that rock and or roll. Yeah, no. I, I mean, I, I, I am in very much in that situation. I, I like young people to be able to be young people. My attitude to that is, and look, you know, you as you have observed in the past. I'm a person that if there was a party at my house and eventually I get too tired for the party, I will happily let the party keep going and just go to bed. I'm not a person. I sleep very well through other people's noise. Um, and even if I don't, I kind of, I love that other people are having a good time. So I am not, I'm never a yell at people to keep it down sort of operator. I would be like, oh, good on them. I wish I was still oh. young and out on a balcony, you know, making irresponsible decisions and seeing the sunrise. Okay, so but then Amy rolls over and is like, "Oh God, I can't sleep." Can I know, tell them I know. I would be awoken by the sound of Amy murdering those kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Okay, <laughs> I would be awoken by the fact that I would hear a child's Shrieking. body crashing on the footpath <laughs> and hear Amy going "fuck you" and pushing them off. Yeah, so you're right. Eventually, I would have to get involved. She's just like Batman. That, uh, the Dark Knight, where she's just dropping people off balconies to break their legs. She doesn't want to kill them. She yeah. just wants to teach them a lesson. <laughs> um, we have a, um, a neighbor in Sydney, and after one of our friends' 40th, it was a Saturday night, and the venue uh, that the 40th was at, um, you know, was closing. And uh, the person whose 40th it was asked if um, 
we could go back to our place because we have one neighbour on one side that isn't at their house a lot and our neighbours on the other side, their bedroom isn't near where our backyard is. So they've always been really good if we want to have a few people over, that sort of thing. But we've got one new neighbour that's kind of towards the back and who really came in hard that night about the noise and made a big oh, deal really? about it. Yeah. And was that the one, is that the one that I was at? Was that? Yeah. Mary Lou's. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 Bleak that out. Yeah. We don't need to bleep that, that out, Mike. She had a don't you? What that she's forty? That one of our friends called Mary Lou is forty. That's a, that's oh, literally shit. all we've all said right. about. All right, on your head be on it. All yeah. I'm saying. Um. So, uh, yeah. So they made a big fuss about it, and he, and the big thing about right. him was that um he was like, oh well, I've got to work early in the morning, and I'm like, well, that's fine, but you know what? Society operates on this idea that we have like Saturday night. It it wasn't. We don't do it all the time. It was a Saturday night. It wasn't a huge party or anything. It was just like a few people, you know, having some fun in the backyard. It wasn't like a, a big deal. And okay, mm. you have to work. Like, but you know what? I work early in the morning and people make noise at night all the time. I work from home in that house and that exact group of people have parties during the day when I'm trying to work and stuff. And I just deal with it. I'll just put my headphones on and I'll do some work or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And I reckon, like, I mean, I'm totally of that philosophy. I think the, you've got to take in all the facts though. So I'm not against young people partying per se, but the proximity of this party, where it was, it was literally under our bedroom window. Like you could not have been closer. They were less than, less than two feet of brick between us and our sleeping, them and, and our sleeping bodies. Like if they were in their apartment, kept the music going and it was a rumble or a hum, like I said, I can live with that. But this was like loud. And also... And this is probably going to make, you know, no, I won't even say that. I was going to say also there's a concern for them like falling off that balcony and hurting themselves. But I'll be Shut honest, up. I, I wasn't you had no that concern concerned. about that. In fact, it's at one stage you were hoping they would fall off the balcony so that at least they would shut up. At least the ambulance <laughs> sirens would drown out their loud 70s rock. Yeah, it was, um, I felt powerful, Will. <laughs> I felt powerful. I felt like I commanded them and they obeyed. Maybe you should like go look into some sort of position where you can yell at young people. Like, could maybe you should become like a junior sports coach or like. Um, no, I, I just listen to teachers' pet. I just think uh, it's, it's a bad association <laughs> to be like a, a children's physical educator. Well, what about you know, like there's all the kind of like crazy dads and mums at junior sport, like you know all the. Oh, that'll definitely be me. I mean, think about when we've gone to like the football together. The way I barrack for my mm. team. Like, I get white line fever, I lose my mind a bit. Imagine if I was watching one of my kids playing junior sport. You think I'm going to be, like, you know, balanced in my view in that game? No way. No, but that's embarrassing for your own child. What I'm suggesting is before you have your own child, get down to the local park and get some practice in. I'm suggesting yeah, some kids. that you just identify a kid. Like, it doesn't matter which one, but you just go down to the local park and you find one and you just barrack as <laughs> if you're that yell kid's at him. dad. Just yell at him, yell at the umpires on his behalf. Really confuse some people. I could probably start up a business, right? Because we do live in this, we live in an age of, um, there's constantly new approaches to parenting, people trying to be more progressive and, you know, maybe some things that have been done in the past weren't the best way to raise kids and can we take a more holistic approach? And so I reckon there are a lot of dads out there who are like, you know what, showing anger in front of my son, you know, is not teaching them anything. It's probably, if anything, giving them a bad impression, but someone really needs to yell at him. Yes. So I could step in 
So like, you know, this kid has, you know, hasn't cleaned their room for a month or whatever. And you know, you don't want to be the fucking bad guy. Call bloody the sheriff. Call Sheriff Clawson. I'll come over and I'll give your kid a bake and I'll do it for free. <laughs> Again, because I have no idea how to make money. <laughs> Again, just for a second, you had yourself a million dollar idea and you're like, <laughs> and I'll do it for free and I'll cover my own travel costs. It doesn't matter if you're interstate. I will lose thousands a year and it'll be worth it. Well, I think it's like, no, I think maybe I will say the first one is for free. After that, you've got to pay. Or See, do you think a kid's only going to get need yelled at once by me? No, I think this is a great... I think you've identified a real like a gap in the market, to be honest. Because, mm. yeah, you don't want to ruin your kid by being like you know the angry person or you don't want to always have to be the bad guy in that parenting thing. But the truth of it is, particularly boys, but all kids as they're growing up, because kids are inherently selfish, it's part of us being human beings, you know, like everyone's seen a two-year-old who thinks that everything belongs to them, right? That's mine. That's <laughs> mine. That's mine. You do have to do some stern parenting at different stages to teach some things. But some modern-day parents don't want to be the bad guy all the time. They don't want to be the person mm. yelling at their kids all the time. That's a perfect opportunity mm. to bring – and you're a professional actor, so you can yeah. adapt yourself to whatever scenario and situation is appropriate for that kid. You're not going to just bring, like you'll do a level of research. They can send you a few yeah. facts, some of the kids' soft spots. Yeah. Some of the, th you know, some yeah. kids it's going to be a sporting thing. Some kids need a mm. bit of hard truth while they're training on the sporting field sort of thing. You know, you need to go down yeah. to training and just kind of motivate them by yelling at them. Some of them need to be yelled at to clean their room. There are a myriad of reasons and ways that you need to yell at children, Charlie. And I think that you could do it. And I don't think I want to just be like that blunt instrument. No. I think I want to get more psychological about yeah. it because I don't reckon every kid, like if you've got a kid who's like full, full, no. a, full ADD, mm. you know, it's going to be what, you know, the words aren't affecting them. So maybe that's where you switch it up. Like I remember um, being on set once where working with kid actors and two of these kids were mucking around and it was mm. like take after take after take and everyone was getting frustrated and the director was kind of losing control. And so one of the senior members of the cast took these two boys aside and it was totally pimp. He just kind of like talked to him, but he didn't get angry, just got real quiet. Mm. And it was just like, Hey, uh, you know, what's going on? And you know, they were giggling and stuff and sort of blaming each other. And it's like, okay, you see everyone in the room here. All these people want to go home and they can't do it. If you guys are going to keep mucking around. So are you going to keep mucking around? And you could just sort of say it was just that softly, softly approach. It was the, the man who doesn't need to raise his voice. It had like a total chilling effect on these kids. Cause the next day, bang, I'll concentrate. I think this is good for you. You could play this range and it's already something you're interested in. Like, you know, yeah. and, and I do think there is the demand for it in these modern day busy times. Sometimes, you know, dad can't make a Saturday morning sport, but he needs someone to go down there and quietly tell his son he's disappointed in him. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like a great idea for a business or the kind of film that is built off a Saturday Night Live sketch. Oh, yeah. No, <laughs> you know, definitely, like, definitely we could get Vince Vaughn and Owen Wilson interested in this scenario. What are you fucking talking about? It's my idea. <laughs> I'm going to bloody Sylvester Stallone this, mate. <laughs> this will be my one idea. This is your Rocky. Yeah. Yeah. But you're selling Yelling it guy. to people with Rocky relationships with their children. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, so that was, uh, yeah, that was, that was a highlight of my week, but um, so I've got a couple more questions. So they immediately went oh, yeah? inside and turned off the music. I'm pretty sure. Like, I mean, I've got to admit 
it was like, cause when I, after I yelled at them and they apologized and started like packing up, I sort of sat back in and I had a big smile on my face. Like when Gemma came in and asked why I was yelling, I was like, that was really fun. I mean, it was a game. And I also think too, that in the age of like, those kids are doing what young people do, but you, they need to have some kind of opposition. You know what I mean? Like, I think it's sort of in the narrative of their of their youth, when they look back in 20 years' time, they'll tell that story about, do you yeah. remember when we were dancing on the roof and, and that guy fucking yelled at us? Like, it's not a story. You know, like when you're writing good drama, you have to put obstacles in front of your hero and their objective. If it's just too easy for them, it's just not going to be a memory. But they'll always remember that time that fucking dude leaned out the willow, uh, willow window and yelled at them. Right. And particularly for their age demographic, because how old are these kids, do you reckon? Oh, like... When I say kids, they're probably like late twenties. Yeah, okay, late twenties. Yeah, mid to late twenties. Okay, mid to late twenties. So I was going to say because if they were like early twenties, they're probably still in the home and away zone. So there's a chance that oh, at yeah, least no. one of them. Oh, would have that'd been be like, amazing. Did you remember remember that morning when we were off our heads on that awning, and then Zach from Home and Away yelled at us angrily. <laughs> This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. I mean, if you want. It's up to you.